0: You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast.
1: This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Be smart. Stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com slash mission log. Don't forget to use our link at expressvpn.com slash mission log to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. This episode is also sponsored by
2: HelloFresh. Go to HelloFresh.com MissionLog16 and use the code MissionLog16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash MissionLog16 and our code MissionLog16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping from America's number one meal kit.
0: Mission Log, A Roddenberry Star Trek Podcast, Episode 494, Rise.
1: Welcome to another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Norman Lau. And I'm John Champion. Each
2: week on Mission Log, we pick apart an episode of Star Trek, looking for the morals, meanings, and messages, and seeing if the whole thing stands the test of time. This week,
1: Rise, the one where Neelix <clears throat> rises to the occasion while everyone else around him literally rises with him because, well, they're on a space elevator, so they have to. They have to, exactly. Uh, well, look, we'll have trivia in a moment, but first, a word from Norman on how to reach us. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a line at at roddenberry.com and join us on Twitter and Facebook at Mission Log Pod. While you're at it, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And please remember, your comments could be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. And now, here's John Champion with this week's trivia.
2: Here we go. Rise is a story by Jimmy Diggs. And you may recall that his first sale as a freelance writer to Star Trek was with the Voyager episode, Elogium. But we on Mission Log first mentioned Jimmy with his DS9 episode, Dr. Bashir, I presume. Now, we covered Jimmy's extensive and varied work history there. And at this point in Star Trek's run, he will contribute four more stories to Voyager. And Jimmy was pretty upfront with uh, this particular story being directly inspired by the movie The Flight of the Phoenix. That came out in 1965, star Jimmy Stewart, and it's about a plane crash in the Sahara Desert, and the only way out is to salvage the parts into a new plane that can get the stranded crew out of there. The uh, teleplay duties were handed over to Brandon Braga, and then the director's chair is Robert Shear and... This is the final episode of Star Trek with a directing credit by Robert Shear. We've been talking about him since way back in Next Generation where he debuted by directing The Measure of a Man. He did a total of 11 episodes on that series, one on DS9 that would be Shadow Play, and then just two on Voyager, State of Flux and this one that we're talking about today. After a long and prolific career directing almost nonstop through the 1970s, (coughs) Love Boat, (laughs) and 80s, Voyager would be his final professional credit. He passed away in 2018 at the age of 89. We have a lot of guest stars to meet this week, so let's say hello. First, there is an Etanian commander played by Gary Bullock, and Gary is a bit of a TV and sci-fi staple in his career, mostly from the 90s and beyond. In future films, you may have caught him in Robocop 2 or Species or even in Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. On TV, he has made the rounds on Buffy, The X-Files, Weird Science, and we're not even done with him yet because he will be back for an episode of Enterprise. Now, most of the characters we meet this week are from the Nizu colony world. Hanjuan is played by Jeff Precier, and this episode of Voyager comes at the tail end of his on-screen performing career. He started out in the '80s with a number of TV guest roles and daytime and nighttime soap operas. The same year as Voyager, he has just one more credit for the time travel action movie Total Reality. Sklar is played by Kelly Connell. And I know that he has a rich and varied career, but I immediately remember him from one of my favorite comedies, Hot Shots, in which he played the air traffic controller. There's a lot more to him than just that, though. Kelly appeared on a number of popular sitcoms like Wings, Night Court, and Murphy Brown. He turned up twice on Buffy, and he had a long recurring role on Picket Fences. That's just to name a very few. Lilius is played by Lisa Kamenir. And in addition to a sizable number of guests and feature roles, Lisa is also a producer with a number of short films under her belt. In recent years, you may have caught her on Castle, NCIS, Hawaii Five O, or the comedy series Control Alt Delete. Dr. Vadim is played by the very recognizable Tom Towles. He got his start in his hometown, Chicago, in live theater. And when he made the jump to TV and film, well, he often played the heavy, the menacing guy. He had that presence, and it served him well in a number of sci-fi, horror, and other genre roles, Uh, shows from the likes of Firefly, VR5, and Star Trek, also, where we saw him once already as a Klingon in the DS9 episode Dramatis Personae. He also did a lot of feature work, like House of a Thousand Corpses, Night of the Living Dead, and Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. We lost Tom in 2015. Finally, the ambassador is Alan Oppenheimer, and we have mentioned Alan twice before because his guest credits include TNG and DS9, not to mention a Trek video game, but that is also a medium where Alan lends his voice talents a lot. The man has more than 300 credits and is still working as recently as last year's He-Man and the Masters of the Universe animated series, a franchise for which he has performed a lot. And don't forget, he was the second Dr. Rudy Wells, as the $6 million man was making that jump from TV movies to TV series. This episode of Voyager marks the last of Alan's Trek performances as of this recording.
0: Ground floor. Housewares and shuttlecraft parking. Very, very sudden shuttlecraft parking. Going up.
1: Prologue. Captain Janeway and Voyager are hosting two alien representatives while preparing to destroy an asteroid that is on a collision course with the alien's homeworld. Voyager's photon torpedo strike should have vaporized the asteroid. However, several smaller fragments remained intact and struck the planet's surface moments later. One of the alien representatives informed Janeway that this was also the case when they tried to destroy previous asteroids before Voyager arrived to aid them. Act 1. The two larger fragments struck an unpopulated desert area on the Nezu homeworld, but they have not been so fortunate in previous asteroid bombardments, and according to Tuvok's projections, confirmed by the NASU ambassador, the next asteroid will hit a more densely populated area. Just then, Dr. Vadem hails Voyager with a message for the ambassador regarding the doctor's strange findings about the asteroids. The call is cut short due to surface interference, so Janeway orders three shuttles to mount a rescue mission, bolstering the ambassador's confidence in their newfound alliance. After stopping by the infirmary for surplus medical supplies, a very, very agitated Neelix confesses to the EMH that he's anxious to impress Tuvok as part of the rescue detail, to which the EMH tries to advise Neelix to focus on being simply an observer and a learner. Later, as Tuvok pilots the shuttlecraft Sacagawea through violent and turbulent atmospheric conditions, he and Neelix, with Sklar in tow, are forced to crash-land on the planet— Voyager loses contact with the shuttle at the same time Chakotay is told by Balana that she just beamed aboard a fragment of the remaining asteroid they destroyed earlier. Unharmed in the crash, Tuvok and company are met by Dr. Vadim and a Nezu miner named Hanjuan. Tuvok orders Neelix to survey the damage, and in doing so, Neelix discovers that they have crash-landed somewhere near a mining orbital tether. Neelix, even though it is not his place to do so, suggests that they use the tether in order to ascend above the ionosphere so they can contact Voyager for a rescue. Vadim informs Neelix that the tether was damaged in a previous asteroid strike, but Neelix assures everyone, especially Tuvok, that he can repair the damage with his expert engineering knowledge of maglev carriages, like the one on the orbital tether. However, upon arriving at the platform's base, Neelix is attacked by Lilius, a Nezu woman who has been using it as a shelter from the asteroid bombardments. Act 2 Holding Neelix with her knife's edge to his throat, Lilius is convinced by Tuvok and the others that they are not there for her supplies. She releases Neelix and he gains her confidence by asking her to assist in his repairs to the maglev carriage. Back on Voyager, the Nasu Ambassador watches on as Chakotay and Balana expertly crack open the asteroid fragment, and to their collective surprise, they discover that it has been hollowed out and is densely packed with components that resemble a control node for some type of guidance system. Back on the planet, Neelix is making good on his expert engineering knowledge, as both he and Tuvok have successfully restored main power to the maglev control room and carriage assembly, Neelix then goes on to assist Lilius with restoring functionality to the all-too-important oxygen regenerators. He notices that she's struggling with her assignment, but assuages her fears by sharing a story about his long-lost sister, Alixia, who always appealed to Neelix's sense of adventure. In fact, he decides to name the maglev carriage after her. Upon returning to Tuvok, Neelix is severely criticized for spending more time fraternizing than working. A deflated Neelix returns to work and is only partially done with repairing the major systems when Dr. Vadim, for reasons unknown, tries to launch the maglev platform, forcing everyone inside as it ascends, while the control room cavern collapses beneath them. Act 3 Having to triage the maglev carriage's issues quickly, Neelix is forced to increase speed to ensure stable magnetic coupling cohesion so the carriage doesn't detach from the tether. After stabilizing the carriage's connection at 47 kph, Tuvok notices that one of the oxygen converters has ruptured, meaning the other working converter will have to be boosted if they are to survive reaching the ionosphere. Neelix confides in Tuvok about certain glitches that may happen during their ascent, which steers their conversation into more of a confession. Neelix admits that his so-called expert knowledge of maglev carriages comes from his love of building scale models about them, albeit to exacting detail. Tuvok's confidence in Neelix is slowly fading but is sidelined for the moment when he notices that Lilius is preparing to throw Dr. Vadim out of the carriage door, and after easily defending himself from Hanjuan's punch, Tuvok reminds Lilius, Hanjuan, and Sklar that he is in charge by the authority of Voyager's mission parameters and by the Nezu ambassador's plea for Janeway's aid. Meanwhile on Voyager, Tom reports in and informs Captain Janeway that his shuttle team hasn't been able to locate Dr. Vadim. After ordering Tom to evade an incoming dust storm, Harry tells Janeway that a far larger asteroid has just made sensor contact and will hit the planet in two hours. Back on the maglev carriage, Tuvok is administering triox compounds to combat the side effects of carbon dioxide poisoning. Since Tuvok isn't affected by the thin atmosphere, and as Neelix attempts to teach Tuvok how to pilot the carriage, Dr. Vadim frantically tries to escape through the emergency hatch, blathering about needing to retrieve something. But before he can make any sense, Vadim dies in front of Tuvok, who, after a cursory examination, believes the doctor was murdered. Act 4. After analyzing Dr. Vadim's water container, Tuvok discovers traces of lydroxide, a coolant used for the tether couplings, and is indeed poisonous when ingested. Tuvok believes that since none of the lydroxide tanks on board the platform are sealed, someone on board must have accessed them to poison the doctor's water. But who, and most importantly, Why? As the finger-pointing and blaming begins, Neelix believes that he should stop the carriage to investigate why Vadim was so bent on risking his life to go to the carriage's roof. Tuvok dismisses Neelix's recommendation, so much so that Neelix bursts into a fit of outrage at Tuvok's sheer lack of empathy, respect, and consideration for him. Even Lilius remarks how arrogant and sarcastic Tuvok is towards Neelix. But Tuvok presses on, as does Neelix, who refuses to pilot the carriage, forcing Tuvok to investigate the roof for whatever Vadim was looking for. Once on the roof, Tuvok discovers and informs Neelix that he's found an alien device hidden within a circuit panel. Upon hearing this news, Sklar pursues Tuvok, and before Neelix can stop him, Sklar kicks him off the ladder leading to the hatch, causing Neelix to land hard on his head. Sklar then gets the jump on Tuvok and throws him off the side of the carriage, leaving him to dangle there as Sklar retrieves the alien device. Act 5 Making his way back to the control room, Sklar, now armed with Tuvok's phaser, demands to get the carriage moving again before the next incoming asteroid hits. However, the only one who can pilot the carriage is Neelix, who, from his head injury, is nearly unconscious when Sklar kicked him off the upper platform just moments earlier. Back on Voyager, Janeway is contacted by an alien ship. They introduce themselves as the Atanian Order, who have claimed the Nazu's home planet as their own for conquest. Janeway declares the Nezu are under her protection, which draws the battle lines between them. Back on the carriage, while Sklar tries to force Lilius to pilot the platform, Neelix sees that Tuvok is trying to access the outer door. Neelix summons whatever strength he has left and is able to access the door's controls, Tuvok struggles his way in as the open-door breach sucks the air from the carriage, and after a brief hand-to-hand skirmish, Tuvok wrestles the alien device from Sklar before kicking him through the carriage door, only to meet his doom plummeting to the surface. Tuvok then stabilizes the platform and examines Neelix, who is suffering from a severe concussion. Knowing that the alien device holds the key to this entire affair, Neelix musters all he has left to pilot the carriage above the interference of the ionosphere, where Voyager is able to beam the entire party to safety. Once aboard Voyager, Tuvok uses the data in the alien device to counter the Atanian's attack ship's capabilities, rendering it harmless. Sometime later in the mess hall, Neelix summarizes all that has happened to Lilius before he says goodbye. Tuvok then arrives and tells Neelix that he's finished his report, and that Neelix has been cited for a special commendation for his endurance and bravery. And, as complimentary as that may seem, Tuvok can't help but comment on how Neelix could have been less emotional and more efficient to which Neelix protests as the two continue their dance of both bickering and friendly bantering the end. All right. Nicely done Norman. And I, I hate to poke
2: holes and things this early on, but uh, right at the beginning I I have to announce that I will make fun of the Nezu. I will make fun of these aliens because okay. the the makeup, the wardrobe, um, it, it, especially the kind of weird delivery at the top. Like, got Alan Oppenheimer is very like, you know almost regal looking like it has a lot of presence you know and then sklar of course you you are playing differently for a reason right uh but but they kind of come across like a couple of 1950s sci-fi movie aliens like they
1: would be made fun of on mst3k Oh, for sure. Yeah. They you know? uh, yeah, they were definitely lost skeleton of cadaver level aliens.
2: <laughs> they were. They were yeah. a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I will say in the teaser, we got some pretty decent looking CG with the
1: uh, the asteroids falling and the explosions on the surface. Thought that looked all right. Now, if you look at the uh, asteroid explode, you can actually mm-hmm. see the two fragments that they careen off to like camera right. So those are the two mm-hmm. ones that will, you know, they will bombard the planet later right before the uh, the credits yeah. so i thought that yeah. was actually really good yeah pretty
2: nice looking i i wonder like did nobody think those asteroids were suspicious up until this point because it just seems like they're kind of suspicious well before this point but i guess the answer is that uh Vadim uh did but he didn't have enough to go on but the, the whole
1: idea like well they just they keep coming and they won't break apart in the atmosphere yeah that's something that you would like want to hear in a captain's log like you know captain's log whatever uh we're helping these aliens out because all of a sudden these asteroids just started bombarding their planets and Janeway, i think would ask so how many have and how long is like yeah. oh just last week <laughs> well, <laughs> for a week <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah okay yeah. yeah
2: okay and look i our notes get written and revised and written and revised but i i left one of my original first watch notes in here which mm-hmm. is What again is with the weird imbalance of these two actors alan oppenheimer is the ambassador what is the deal with Sklar? it is his delivery just i look i'm not saying that he is a bad actor at all because again he cracked me up in hot shots and he has been in a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. there is such an obvious imbalance in these two actors that it could not help but amuse me well, is very shifty from the get-go. So you're just kind of like... He's shifty? Well, yeah. look, like he, he, he's shifty, but he, he's also just like... Ah, I, I, I don't even want to imitate him. I, I don't want to do that because <laughs> it, it
1: seems... Uh, his delivery just seemed very fake. But anyway, no, I, anyway I, we'll I move know you on. Didn't, you didn't like the uniforms. Yeah. I kind of like the uniforms. I liked... They were kind of like Romulan, but not Romulan. You know, they had big shoulder pads. Uh, they had nice pinstriping. I'm like, you know, for, for future fashion... I yeah. like the pinstriping, you know. Um I they I, and again, I I love rubber monster science fiction stuff. So they do kind of fall into the category of 1950s uh black and white sci-fi aliens. They do, they,
2: and I think maybe partly that is enhanced by the fact that their, their, uh, prosthetics, that the makeup is a little bit different on every character, which mm-hmm. is cool in a way where you can go like, Hey, look, not everybody looks exactly the same with exactly the same brow ridges on this planet. But also it's just like a weird game of keeping up with who's got what brow ridge <laughs> from scene to scene. Like
1: it's just kind of. Odd. I thought that those uh, brow ridges were very Cardassian esque. So maybe they were borrowing some appliances from the Cardassian makeup. I don't know. But,
2: but see, some looked like that. And then by, by the time we get down on the surface and Hanjuan, mm-hmm. he, he looked like it, it was like Phil Hartman's makeup when he would play, <laughs> uh, unfrozen caveman lawyer, you know, <laughs> it was like uh, that, you know, you're killing me, dude. Oh I don't God. understand your yeah, complicated so space. Ah! I'm just a simple caveman. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of weirdness, Neelix on speed, he, he found the amphetamine uh, supply on Voyager before he goes into that scene with, uh, with the
1: EMH. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of like with Sklar. You can tell when Ethan's telegraphing a certain bit Yeah, and it's like, Okay, so if you want to really power the warp engines, just make sure that Neelix can never, ever put that second strap of his backpack on. Because he will be—he's like a whirling dervish. He's like the Tasmanian devil. He just spins around and spins around and spins around with a backpack. And I'm nitpicking this to death, I know, but— backpacks in Voyager or in Star Trek in general just look like backpacks. Can't (laughs) they they look more like space
2: backpacks? Space backpacks! Come on, where are the space backpacks? I know.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
2: I I do love the EMH's line, Mr. Tuvok seldom acknowledges my brilliance. Perfect EMH line. Uh, I gotta give credit to Brannon for coming up with so many good lines for the EMH. And that that shuttle flight coming down onto the surface, that was terrifying and
1: I'm not even on it. I'm just sitting in the comfort of my living room and that that was that was terrifying. Yeah, it's a great delivered scene, but at the same time though, so I'm watching this and they crash and Neelix does his reconnoiter. Yeah. And all of a sudden like he sees something that is literally like large and shooting straight up into space. Right. And like <laughs> no one is seeing this at all. Like Voyager doesn't have this on sensors. Like, "Hey, what's that?" Right thing yeah, that by the way yeah and these orbital uh, platforms you say they're connected to they're not at all even around the planet or in sensor range at the beginning that the asteroids get hit right <laughs> right just i'm just i know it's devil's advocate stuff but of course yeah. of course
2: i i love the the base station of the tether uh, yeah, yeah. because it, it just reminded me of just like this very classic star trek prop dump You know, Mm -hmm. that big dome in the middle of the controls, like it felt very TOS to me. Um, I thought Sargon. Didn't you think Sargon? I thought Sargon. (laughs) Sargon, I I thought about games for Triskelion, the big dome with the brains under it, like so much stuff. It it absolutely fit. And it's one of those where like you don't need to know what it does. It just looks spacey and that's good enough. And by the way, it actually is a prop from the Enterprise D stellar cartography. Ah. So yeah, so that was a reuse and a and a a good reuse at that. I, I love when we cut back to Voyager and you know they're scanning that uh, uh, the the sample of the asteroid and Chakotay is just banging on it with a hammer <laughs> like I'm just I, that was just very funny to me because they, they, everybody else got their tricorders. He's very earnest about I'm going to hit this with a hammer and mm-hmm. that'll be
1: my contribution to this and a cool little reveal of the technology inside. I thought that was neat. I mean, how lucky that not only do they not damage anything, but they found the actual piece of debris that splintered off of the explosion that actually had the the components inside very (laughs) well protected on me. I mean, it it looked like everything was intact. Nothing was shattered. I I don't know. I I dug it. Um, Going back to the mining platform, though, uh, a lot of the. L cars, I guess, if you want to call them, you know the uh, the mm-hmm. panels work. It looked very Cardassian. I'm going back. I don't know yeah. it, like the, the the design work in this episode, like from the makeup, you know, on the on the Nezu and then now, you know, in the mining platform, looked very Cardassian, just in spirit to me. It, there
2: were interesting color choices with that, a lot of different shapes that you don't normally see in L cars. So, yeah, it could lend itself. I, I could see why you would think mm-hmm. that. And I, I liked the combination of that with also the very analog controls. Like there are switches and levers mm-hmm. and gears. And, you know, that that was a nice blend of uh, technology to see. And I really like the uh, the throwback to uh, Elixia yeah. uh, naming her. That, that was a, a nice little detail there. Um, speaking of CG and the f episode as we did at the top. Uh, the CG of the tether is creative. I'll give them that, but it is, it is a little dated. Like You can't win them all. Some right. hold up better than others. This is one that... But I, I thought it was very creative and the design was very interesting.
1: Yeah, I like the idea of it. You know, The execution yeah, is totally. one thing, but I think the idea is really good. And it's very... It's just so strange that they're tied to these supply platforms that no one talks about yeah. <laughs> at all and you can't <laughs> right. see from the planetary orbit. Yeah, interesting use of the uh, reference for forty-seven when Neelix says velocity 47, forty-seven kph and holding. Uh-huh. So yeah, yeah. there's their forty-seven reference for yeah. the episode. I also kept wondering why it felt like it took five hours for them to
2: get up there, but I'll, I'll, I'll save that for later. <laughs> um, yeah, some good dialogue to point out here, as we do tend to point out some good dialogue. Lilius, he would have let us die down there to Vok. Bring a bit of truth here. There is no justification for murder. You know,
1: just calling it out very clearly, even though that guy would have let you all die. Yes. And just like shortly afterwards. So Tuvok is saying, this is what's going to happen. This is how everyone's going to act. And then Hanjuan throws a punch Mm -hmm. at him. Tuvok just catches it. Yes. Yes. I was hoping for him just to throw him the Tuvok finger and like, don't do that again. (laughs) Right. That that was
2: where he needed the finger. You know? Yeah.
1: He needed (laughs) Hanjuan needed the Tuvok finger right there. Yes, yeah. yes, he did.
2: Nice throwback reference. Also, triox
1: compound. Glad yeah. to hear that uh, yeah. coming back into use. Very exciting. Okay, so here's kind of I think where you're getting at with uh, Sklar, or more importantly, the actor is playing Sklar. Where mm-hmm. you're you're kind yeah. of. You're projecting like what Sklar now is all about when he's this is like his third or fourth time he's complained about something. I don't like shuttles, I don't like working, I don't like labor, I don't like air, I don't like needles, you know. And yeah, you're just like yeah. Oh come on, man. You know? Like you can't you, you can't be suspicious and and not be suspicious at the same time. Right. Right. Yeah,
2: it is a little too obvious.
1: Yeah, I, I do like you know. There's something out
2: there on the roof. It, it kind of had shades yeah. of terror at twenty thousand feet. Oh, sure. you know, that was kind of yeah. nice. And uh, Tuvok got to deliver perfectly. He's dead. You know, yeah. <laughs> a nice <laughs> classic Star Trek line. And I, I know we're going to get into it later, but yeah. uh, Neelix is losing it with Tuvok was uh, great. And, and just, you're filled with contempt and sarcasm. Yeah. Ooh,
1: some good, good lines here. But I, I know that we're going to. Yeah, that that'll be a, a major part of our conversation. But I like it that there's somebody from the outside, i.e. not Starfleet, calling Tuvok on his behavior. Yes. And that Lilia yes. said that, you know? When, yes, yes, yes. You know, Tuvok's very, being very dismissive, and she's like, no, no, Neelix is absolutely right. And I like that that uh, you see this, because maybe other junior officers on Voyager would never have a chance to say this for fear yeah. of what would happen, the reprisal, or Tuvok just saying, like, no, it's obviously your problem, not my problem. Right. Right. Yeah, love that. I, I did wonder can can you just
2: go out on the roof of a space elevator? Like, I, I guess mm-hmm. so, but but you know, use a safety harness, something like that, uh, and <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Um, I also I, I don't love the effect there, and, and and some of the props, like actually getting into that panel and yeah. pulling out the little device, like that looked a bit wooden, literally, you know, but whatever
1: <laughs> it was a little clunky uh, a little little clunky yeah i i think you're were, were you looking for say the um kind of like when lando goes through to the you know to to catch luke when he's falling from bespin like to hook onto something as like the outside See? chamber opens up so he's got sucked out by the wind Yeah, exactly <laughs> you'd
2: think that that's the thing that you would do you would just like tie yourself off so that you could do that yeah yeah and they, they didn't quite catch the drama like i think one of the most dramatic scenes like that we are not actually putting your real actors in danger you know think about the uh the uh, suspended gondola fight in moonraker right like okay that that you got a couple people on top of a thing that's moving mm-hmm. and you know okay that's scary stuff here it's just like wow those clouds look cloudy <laughs> <laughs>
1: Speaking of shade, before Tuvok leaves to get to above, you know, and looking for the thing, Uh, he says, to so Sklar says, I can't believe you're going out there. You don't even know what you're looking for. And Tuvok says, I'm looking for Mr. Neelix's instinct. Perhaps it will be marked. I was like, I double took on that. I was like, what? Whip pan. I was like, wow, that was sharp. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of
2: condescending. Yeah, Yeah, really.
1: I, I mean, look, the whole thing. When you build
2: up a scene like that and you're in a space elevator, I feel like it had to build up to a showdown on top of that space elevator. It just mm-hmm. had to, which, by the way, it seemed to be ascending very slowly. <laughs> <laughs> like, it might have been high up, but it
1: just seemed to be moving very, very slowly. Um, That's what okay. they should have named this episode, John. They should have named this episode Showdown on the Space Elevator. There we go. That's the right. title they
2: were looking for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess we did find out by Act 5 that they saved the makeup budget for the uh, the Atanian. Uh, we just had to throw it all on him. We're only going to mm-hmm. see one of those. So right. we'll, we'll do all of that there. And I did wonder, like, here's Janeway just picking sides again. Like, did, did she learn nothing? <laughs> you know, she's just picking sides like, like, uh, you know, how about this? How about uh, uh, you ever heard of the Nizu? No, never heard of them. No, we're just we're moving along. That's your problem. Not our problem. Right. Uh, yeah. I do love the moment of Tuvok's reaction to the hug. Perfection. <laughs> He's great. Pete Tuvok right there. Mm-hmm. And I, I hate to bring it up, but uh, they did just beam everybody up while voyager's shields were up no i love bringing that up because that's okay
1: okay Okay. all right then i brought it up there you go. (laughs) i was thinking the exact same thing you know okay so voyager's in a firefight with an unknown ship whose first volley takes their shields down to like 85 percent. that's pretty impressive then all of a sudden we need to get this thing to voyager hold on a second let me put our shields down we're gonna beam them up put our shields back up and engage the firefight i'm like what and, like, what part of the audience are you guys writing for? Like, the yeah. people who aren't paying attention or everybody else who pays attention, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, a little weird. Um, speaking of also this unwritten look, which I thought was very interesting. So, mm-hmm. Tuvok and Neelix, you know, they're, the ambassador asked them about Sklar and what happened. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of look at each other, Neelix and Tuvok look at each other, and they don't really say anything about how Tuvok kicked Sklar out of the <laughs> Right. You know, out of the carriage and having yeah. him like fall to his death. But yeah. wouldn't that eventually make it into Tuvok's security report? I you would think that it has to, and I guess that security report is
2: only for Janeway's eyes, because they're never gonna see the ambassador ever again.
0: Now approaching the second floor, electronics, appliances, sporting goods.
1: We'll get right back to Rise after a word
2: from this week's sponsors. You know what? Watching Netflix or your favorite streaming platforms without using ExpressVPN, let's see, that's, that's kind of like if you go to a casino and you're only able to play the slot machines. Like, that's it. Why? Why, why? Yeah. Why? Why would you limit yourself like that? Like I, I don't know, Norman. You probably I don't know what your game of choice is, but if you walked in, and you saw everything that was out there, but then they said, "No, nope, you can only play the slot machine." You you'd turn around and walk out, wouldn't you? I
1: would take my entire roll of quarters and leave. <laughs>
2: exactly, because yeah. you know you know that the big money is somewhere else. Why limit yourself like that? Yeah. So that that's kind of like. Considering the fact that our favorite streaming platforms have different content libraries in every country. So, for example, Netflix has thousands of shows, but without a VPN, you are only getting access to a fraction of those shows, and that is purely based on your location. Now... That's where ExpressVPN comes in. ExpressVPN essentially unlocks all that additional content that you can't see by helping you change the location of your browser. Now, you can control where you want those streaming services to see you coming from and think you're located. Now, I did this just very recently. Um, there was a big sort of uh, socio political event that happened recently don 't know if you 're aware of it, but uh, oh yes, the coronation of a new king that happened and Yes, there was a lot of coverage in the U.S. by U.S. news channels, but I thought, you know what, Uh, maybe I should see how the BBC are covering this. And I could because I was able to switch my location to the U.K. and just tap into the streams that I wanted to see there. So that was a very convenient way to do that. Now, let's say you've got more entertainment on your mind. There's this very handy chart where I can see that uh, if you're in the U.S. and let's say you wanted to watch Friends, you could do that by going to the UK version of Netflix. Or let's say that you're in the UK and you wanted to watch the Back to the Future trilogy. Well, you could do that by switching to the German uh, Netflix. So you would have all these options open up to you, and that's just like two out of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds that would be open to you because you were able to change your location. And the most important thing is just so easy to do it. I could just close my browser, change my location by hitting
1: one button reconnect and refresh that page and i'm there so the big question now is why choose express vpn over other vpns well first and foremost blazing fast speeds stream in hd with zero buffering because buffering is the worst part of a streaming nightmare experience. total nightmare absolutely mm-hmm. the worst It's also compatible with all of your devices. If you have a device that can use the app like your phone or a laptop or other smart TVs you have all over your house, that's another reason why you want to have ExpressVPN over other VPNs. Servers in 94 different countries. A huge feature for ExpressVPN, gain access to thousands of new shows, just like John was telling you a moment ago. And it works with other streaming services like BBC iPlayer, YouTube, and more. So be smart. Stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of the content. Get your money's worth with ExpressVPN.com slash missionlog. And don't forget to use our link at ExpressVPN.com slash missionlog to get an extra three months. Of ExpressVPN for free. And we'd like to welcome a new sponsor
2: this week. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh, pre portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and, very important, affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal
1: kit. You know what I love about meal kits like this, John? Tell me, Norman, because I dig them too. Well, I love that they're easy, and I love that they're fun, and I love that they're affordable, Mm -hmm. but I also love convenience. So no more scouring the grocery store for that one ingredient to complete your recipe. HelloFresh takes away all that hassle by delivering fresh, pre-portioned ingredients so you have exactly what you need, and it helps you cut down on food waste, but it also helps you cut down on time waste. Yeah. There we go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's always star
2: anise. So you, you, you have a recipe and, and you need star anise and you have to buy a whole bottle of it.
1: I don't need that. I need one. That's all I need. Exactly. I hate the waste. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, you want to make dinner time easy and fast and convenient. And then HelloFresh gives you easy options that will please everyone at your table. You have fit and wholesome options. You have pescatarian options. You have veggie options. They have meal plans that suit you and suit your lifestyle. Plus, you can swap out proteins and sides to your liking. So I like that flexibility too. Yeah, it's nice to have
2: that kind of uh, customization. And here's so many other things to like about HelloFresh. Well, you can check, save money off your uh, ever expand to-do list with the help of HelloFresh. Get this, HelloFresh is cheaper than grocery shopping and 25% cheaper than takeout. And There's no worries if you're not a pro in the kitchen. I mean, we're all getting a little better, right? Aren't we? HelloFresh's mm-hmm. foolproof recipes mm-hmm. arrive pre-portioned and easy to prepare in just a few steps. And I'd never thought about this idea, but think about this. If you're hosting a get-together, you can check out HelloFresh's market for crowd-pleasing appetizers, snacks, sides, and more for your next gathering. And the best part is you can skip that extra trip to the grocery store. That is something I always do. I remember the last thing at about the last minute. So I like (laughs) the idea of it being delivered to my home. And HelloFresh cares about quality. That's why their seasonal ingredients are picked at peak ripeness and travel from the farm to your home in less than seven days.
1: So you know it's fresh. It's right there in the name, Norman. Exactly. So if you like what you're hearing, go to hellofresh.com slash mission log 16 and use code mission log 16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. Again, that's hellofresh.com slash mission log 16 and use our code mission log 16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping from America's number one meal kit.
2: Before we get into the heavy stuff, I I just have to say again, uh, dated CGI or not, good design, uh, maybe a design you don't care for, whatever. I love the idea of a space elevator because I love the, uh, yeah. yeah, I love that this is the thing that, that scientists, technicians have theorized about for a while. And yes, there are all kinds of hurdles to actually make that. A thing I, I you know I, I'm not holding my breath that I'll see that in my lifetime but I um, yeah. uh, mean like atmosphere gravity uh, swaying uh, rotation and <laughs> stuff you know but, but every yeah. every time an objection comes up like that I feel like there's some scientist somewhere says, like, well no but you can compensate for it like this and like, oh, okay mm-hmm. well maybe but there's a lot of assumption there about how you can yeah. make it happen. so I love the idea I love that we get to play with it in a science fiction construct like this I'm going to throw out an idea that they didn't think of in the show. How about this? So you you do the repair on the tether, and then uh, everybody get out of that car, and you just send up a a buoy or a communications array, literally anything other than people. Um, Stop. Yeah, yeah. look, Look, you don't have to climb it. I, you just, you know, send up a message that says to Voyager, hey, uh, lower us down uh, like a, you know, pattern. pot en- of coffee? a yeah, pot of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> pattern enhancer for the transporter, something like that. Yeah. But then, okay, that that brings us to Tuvok. There's, there's the transition, okay? Uh-huh. Because mm-hmm. from the beginning, I mean, right, as soon as Neelix walked back into that shuttle, Tuvok should have immediately seen all the possibilities and he should have been assembling the appropriate teams to do the appropriate work. But he kept having to get his arm twisted to do anything to actually work toward this common goal. And I, I feel like – did you get shades of the Galileo 7 when you were watching? Oh, totally. Okay. Okay. Totally. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, Tuvok's lack of compassion in his leadership role, that that is a big problem. And that is a dead giveaway because it, it really parallels Spock in, in his moment to step up to the plate in the Galileo 7. And at the same time, I mean, I love how in that episode – You had the rest of the crew really calling out Spock for his shortcomings and and his his lack of compassion for anybody else in, in their situation. But at the same time, you got Neelix with his anxiety cranked up to 11 and that becoming a bit of a problem, too. Now, I don't think that they are on equal footing here at all. I think Tuvok is way more in the wrong than Neelix is. Neelix is just being himself, and Neelix is also trying to find ways to have a meeting of the minds here, which is something that Tuvok seems not willing to do. But I I will say that Neelix might also need to work on ways to tone down what he brings <laughs> to the table. But but let's look at what he does bring to the table. He, Neelix is the first, so he just jumps up to the plate with solutions, suggestions of solutions, mm-hmm. and then he literally is the guy who gets a knife held to his throat and basically has to talk his own way out of it. <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah. Tuvok's standing there, he puts his phaser down. I just, Tuvok, you could have done more in that moment.
1: I think that everything that you've described is very similar to, say, the beginning of. And I'm going to say this because I think it needs to be said. Mm-hmm. Tuvix. Okay, because, thank you. Okay, yes. so yes. okay, let's let's kind of like break that seal. Neelix in this episode in Rise acting a little more agitated than we've seen him in episodes previous, especially in the recent past. Mm-hmm. Tuvok, again, being on the. The extremeness of his Vulcanness when it comes to managing the expectations of how they're going to get off the planet and work together a la what Federation officers are trained to do— that's how those two were at the very beginning of Tuvix. We mentioned this in in that episode where they were just at the extremes of their personalities in order to force a far more dramatic clashing of personalities in Tuvix. And then what happens? They get fused together. So the big question is, because they're acting in these extreme modes of their personalities mm. in this episode, are we to believe that Tuvix never happened? Ugh. See... <sighs> and, okay. and, and
2: there are specific lines in this episode that really irk me because I know that Tuvix happened. And, and the, this one thing is such a cold line. Uh, first of all, I love how everybody else, I mean, Neelix especially, but uh, Lilius, I love how Tuvok is getting called out for his terrible behavior. Mm-hmm. And then Tuvok actually says, I have no feelings for Mr. Neelix. Now, okay, on the surface, yes, true, you're a Vulcan, and you don't feel things emotionally, necessarily, but then they, I love how they call it, like, exactly, like, that—that that is the problem here, <laughs> it is that mm-hmm. it's not just in the Vulcan philosophical sense that you have no feelings for Mr. Neelix, it is in this sort of, like, Existential participatory way that we are all people in a room together. That you have no feeling for Mr. Neelix for his presence, uh, for right. for his abilities as a person. Uh, so I love the honesty of what they all bring to it. But that line, that alone, made me think like, well, well, wait, but wait, uh, all the stuff with Tuvix should have made this much more profound and right. and, and much deeper under the surface than what's going on here because just by that experience alone tuvok should have some
1: feeling for neelix they shared a brain <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know right and if you're kind of always want to reverse that line a little bit even if tuvok says i have no feelings for neelix mm-hmm. what he does understand or should understand after Tuvok is that i know that Tuv- that neelix has feelings himself yes Right, yes. so that's the big issue here. It's like it's fine that a Vulcan doesn't have feelings, but he has to recognize through their shared experience of literally being fused together mm-hmm. genetically, mm-hmm. you know, with the shared memories of both that Neelix is a very sensitive uh, person who uh, he craves Tuvok's affection and and admiration. Right, he knows that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, there are parts of Tuvix, and I went all the way back and 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 looked at my notes where. Tuvix is saying, like, I know that I'm not going to add spicy foods to Kes' crepes. I know that I'm not going to, because I don't like spicy foods myself, I'm not going to make them too spicy because Tuvok doesn't like spicy. Right. I know that this, I know that, I know all of these intricate details about both of their lives that that in and of itself should have carried on into this episode because it makes their, it makes their confrontation strange.
2: Because look, you you,
1: you can logic your way into a
2: position of being a better, more compassionate leader. Like, even Hmm. if that is the only thing that you're basing it on, you you can remove the emotion from that equation. Even if all you're basing it on is our chances of survival, our, our ability to work together as a team, you can logic your way into a position of being a uh, a, a, a better leader in a complex, emotionally high-charged situation like that. that that's right. why it's so unfortunate to see Tuvok not even getting that part. But, it, it, you know, we've seen plenty of examples of Vulcans using logic for the worst possible outcome, including mm-hmm. this particular Vulcan, including this Vulcan who, you know, lied and didn't an, run around his own captain because he wanted to use logic to get to the solution that he wanted instead of
1: what was actually the right solution the other the weird thing about about their confrontation It would be the same as if, say, Neelix and Tom at this stage in the game would have the same kind of fight over Kess, even though that we know that Neelix and Kess are no longer an item. It seems so strange that we're revisiting something that both characters, in this case Neelix and Tuvok, should have moved on past by now. And Tuvok, knowing that the logical solution to get off the planet is to do the right thing using the right talents from the people who have those talents. How does he not remember Mm -hmm. that? Okay, so I'm citing specific... Um, specific episodes. Here. Okay, let's go all the way back to. Well, we all know that he, uh, Neelix is chief morale officer. We we know that you know. In Fair Trade, you know, he's earned you know his acknowledgement from his peers that you know he's a valued member of the crew. That's only been in the last few episodes past. But the episode investigations, he outsmarted a McKee engineer. He outsmarted Jonas. Yeah, in engineering, doing engineering level things while fighting him at the same time say killed him. <laughs> yeah. Killed him Kill, at the end. Right that guy. Yeah. And that's because of the stuff he says that Balana has trained him to do. Yeah. Like he said, Balana trained me to do shuttlecraft stuff. I can help. And all Tuvik says is just give me the report. Yeah. I'm like, no, dude, you know that he is capable. Yeah. Why aren't you using that? And again, that goes to the whole, where have these characters come from? How have they not developed to the point where this is still being acknowledged, it it makes you know, in their character. It makes Tuvok even more emotionally
2: stunted than he would be just by virtue of being a Vulcan who is strictly dedicated to his logic. You know right. that's but but again, I, I I, but I, I think that every everything that we're pointing out as a shortcoming in Tuvok's character which look he he has so many admirable qualities he's so great in so many ways but i think these are exactly the kind of things that star trek at large and voyager specifically in a case like this wants us to pick apart you know they want us to pick apart the flaws in being this hyperlogical unfeeling being you know, they, it, it, these are exactly what we should be finding fault with because we know that Neelix is in the right here. And we know that right. Tuvok is using his superior intellect, using his dedication to logic for all the wrong outcomes. He's just doing this in the world. like. Okay, uh, there's this other line that I picked uh, where he's in that tail end scene and uh, he and Neelix are kind of going back and forth and Neelix is prodding him a bit, of course, because that is Neelix's way. And, mm-hmm. uh, Tuvok says instinct is simply another term for serendipity, which, uh, okay, <laughs> oof. I, oh, and I, and I and look, I do have something to say about that. Uh, you, you know, there, I, I think there are ways to look at, uh, instinct, uh, in a logical sense. But it, it's the, it's that thing where it's the apology that's not an apology in that whole scene, and that is something that Vulcans mm-hmm. have mastered. <laughs> you know, look at the examples we had to work with. We had Spock, full of family issues because oh, the end of Journey to Babel itself. I, I was about to say, I'm sorry, yeah, Saric, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah no, that's mm-hmm. exactly it. You, you filled in the blank. You know, Sarek. <laughs> it, it all starts from there for sure. So uh, yeah, we're
1: we're definitely lacking in good Vulcan role models in that respect. It's so strange where you have Tuvok. We've seen him adapt to situations before. Look at the three children that he ran into on the planet. Mm. If he wanted to, he could have applied the same cold calculating Vulcan logic to employ them in order for him to be able to harness their intelligence and their talent and their abilities to get off the planet back to Voyager. But no, he was compassionate. He was understanding. He was patient. He treated them as they were as children Mm -hmm. so again it's like when you see something happen like this in a situation where we know that the character has gone from point A now he should be at like point F G H I you know he's going literally from point A to before point A because there is a certain level of I wouldn't say retconning with his character, but almost a misunderstanding of where he is now. We're not meeting the best of Tuvok where he is in his development on Voyager. And the same thing with Neelix. Neelix should be far more seasoned and far less anxiety-ridden than he is right now. He has gone through literally like 3 or 4 episodes ago in Fair Trade he has been accepted as a member of the crew by Janeway who has you know has has tempered his expectations of who he is and how he should serve. I think that the crew, by and large, should have also done that. And now we're just back at, like, season one Neelix and Tuvok. Yeah. You know, season two early Neelix and Tuvok. Again, it would be the same thing if Neelix and Tom were on a shuttle mission and they got in a fight about Kes again. Yeah. Because they haven't moved on past that. And I'm wondering why. Why is that happening now? Now approaching the roof level. More electronics.
0: Lots of clouds. Railings that are way too low.
1: Well, we've made it to the end, and hopefully everyone got a rise out of what we had to say about this episode. I have seen, though, John, and maybe yes. you can help me with this early on before we get into answering the big questions, which we always do at the end of our episodes. The big yeah. questions being, does this episode hold up and it, does it withstand the test of time? And yeah. then do we find any morals, meanings, and messages? But I have seen this episode listed online two ways, hmm. rise and rise with an exclamation point. Really? Really? Yeah, so I do believe on a certain streaming network that streams exclusively Star Trek, it is Rise with an exclamation point. Oh, interesting. Uh,
2: I I think the, uh, the exclamation point is uncalled for. I'm just <laughs> I, wondering if it was yeah.
1: originally done that way. It was changed. Is it a type of some kind? I don't have to go uh,
2: have to go look at a script and, uh, okay. and see if that's the case. But I, I think it is a wholly unmerited exclamation point. But uh, maybe they were just trying to infuse it with more enthusiasm. Maybe maybe that was the whole thing.
1: Enthusiasms. (laughs) (laughs) Enthusiasms.
2: Well, uh, let's take a look here and we'll see how enthusiastic we are. You know, let's look at some of the positive aspects of this episode. I, I think we have a classic look at command style and people getting along in the workplace. Something that Star Trek has definitely done before and we have pointed out in other episodes of Mission Log, the way they do that exploration. I think Ethan Phillips is great in this. Yes, he has those over-the-top moments, but, man, when he is asked to do something personal and dramatic, he really delivers. I I loved the sincerity and the quiet of that monologue about Alexia when he's describing that story to uh, Lilius. I thought that was really nice. Let's go to our man, Tuvok. He is wise in so many ways. (laughs) and I love how Voyager makes him unique among the Vulcans that we have seen. is similar. We've just pointed out similarities to Spock and Sarek, but he is also his own person. Like a lot of Vulcans, though, he has some major blind spots. He, He didn't see the logic in talking about Ponfar, while back, Mm -hmm. and uh, he didn't show the simple respect to the people on his team. Again, I I don't see the logic in failing to do that. Um, But here's the thing, though, in this episode. You also need Tuvok's ability to take command, And you need his cold ability to cut right through a situation, size it up, and not let emotion get in the way of making a decision, especially when things are so heightened that something like, oh, a little light murder is on the table. (laughs) You know, yeah. For summing up the episode, I love the sci-fi of it all. You have the space elevator, you have the espionage plot, you have the action scenes. And they really do try to fit some personal drama in here as well. But the script tips its hand early and often. So rather than subtext and discovery, we have a lot of moments of the characters just blurting out exactly what's happening. I mean, we open with nervous Neelix spelling out exactly why he's nervous. And I think that hurts what we get from that moment forward. It's not a bad episode. And in, in fact, it's a very good episode because of the strength of many scenes and many of the performances. But it is also an uneven episode that isn't greater than the sum of its parts. So it's hard for me to recommend in that case. At the same time, I can respect what they probably thought they were doing here and I can respect all the throwbacks to vintage Trek like I mentioned Galileo 7. Sorry, I, I love the idea that uh, Jimmy Diggs was inspired by the movie uh, Flight of the Phoenix. Like I think all the parts are there and I think using some of the the emotion that we've gotten out of these characters before, I think all of that really works but then I think it's taken down by what you just pointed out so forcefully in the last segment, which is how are we doing this story now when we know what just happened however many months ago when we met Tuvix? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying, you know, about the elements are good. You know, there are, yeah. of course there are, we're all, I think we're going to be able to find that in, in kind of like in the context of, of these episodes, but why I'm going to say no to this. And it's been mm-hmm. a long time since I've had, you know, said a hard no about, yeah. you know, does this episode hold up? It's because, it doesn't. It's not that it doesn't take our characters forward, like or anywhere. It almost regresses them in a bit. It regresses Neelix and Tuvok to a point where they are. They've they've lost a lot of the ground that they've gained since Tuvix, and I think that a lot of this episode spent more time on things that, for me, just didn't sell the episode a lot, like the who done drama. And say, you know, focusing on some more of like the borrowed tropes, like again, the Galileo 7 is popping up a lot, and the saboteur du jour who done it, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. kind of drama that wasn't really going anywhere because Scalar was so telegraphed as the assassin, it was kind of, you yeah. know, comedic. That time, I think, could have been better spent on doing something they haven't done yet, and I'm not even sure if they're going to do at all, since I haven't seen the rest of Voyager up to, you know, from this point forward, mm-hmm. per se focusing on the relationship between Neelix and Tuvok and that kind of, like, conversation that they never had after Tuvix. You know, like, the whole, what happened to us? How do we rectify this? Can we still, you know, work together as not only, like, teammates, but as friends, you know, how are we going to have that that next day conversation? And what does that do to us? Have we learned anything? And if we learned anything, then why is this happening to us now? So why are we having this breakdown in communication? Why don't we understand each other? I thought that this was a hugely missed opportunity in, in an episode that basically focused on why they were who they were before tuvix why they were kind of always Mm, at mm -hmm. each other's throats why they were always irritating each other it's because they never understood each other yeah and they still don't yeah after this it moment that they have it being them actually literally being fused genetically with each other yeah as if it never happened and i find that so woefully regrettable about this That's why I can't recommend this episode. This is why it just has no – it just doesn't connect with me at all. You know, it's really
2: interesting to think about how a script like this shows up when and where it does, you know, getting closer and closer to the end of the third season of the series. And we've had so many good – like, we had a streak there of really strong episodes. And you think about, okay, you go back to the beginning with a writer's Bible – here are the characters, here are their traits, here's roughly how they interact in this world that we've created, right? And you pick up on those traits, but then each episode individually has character arcs. You know, you you, you have to build in an arc so that, uh, like in this episode, Tuvok has to go from this hardline, purely logical unfeeling leader to somebody who in the end shows some compassion shows that he has learned the reason why he has to be more compassionate toward Neelix right and you can do that mm-hmm. on an episode by episode basis Neelix in this episode you have to ha- give him an arc where he's nervous he is beaten down then he finds the strength to confront this person who has been mistreating him in the position that he has so on an episode-by-episode episode basis, that works really, really nicely. I think what we're missing here, and Tuvix, as you keep pointing out, is like the glaring example of what happens when you actually think through a season-long or a series-long arc where you can go, okay, these characters might behave this way now, but once we get past this certain hump, they now have to act this other way. Or mm-hmm. we, we have to give some nuance to the reason that they act this way to each other. Like we've done it in small ways. Neelix was hyper-jealous about Kess. Finally realized that's not working, we've got to get, get rid of that. And then we don't quite know where to go with the relationship with Kess. So now we're just going to undo, just going to wipe away the relationship with Cass, even though we never got a scene to do that. But now we're not going to accidentally go back to a scene where Cass and Neelix are suddenly back in a relationship. So at least the writers from that perspective, they get it like these characters need to grow beyond just the episode by episode arcs that they have. This seems so out of place in that because if any two characters had a profound moment, it was the profound moment that they had with Tuvix. And mm-hmm. let's not forget that the whole story, that one episode, Tuvix, takes place over something like nine weeks. Right. It is a really long time that they're together, which also adds greatly to the uh, the dramatic weight of what we get on that episode. All right. Well, let's um, – talk about morals, meaning as messages. I kind of boiled mine down. I I think that this is, uh, this is an episode of Star Trek where we have this collection of lessons in leadership and teamwork. I think to Tuvok's strength, you strategize with logic, nothing wrong with that at all, but you have to temper that with a genuine care and concern for the people around you. Otherwise, you cannot be an effective leader if you don't understand their needs and who they are. On Neelix's side, speak truth to power, especially Mm -hmm. when it's unfair and narrow in its view. I I love that moment that he has. I I think Mm -hmm. he earned it, and I think Ethan played it beautifully. Listen and let everyone contribute in the ways that they know how. This is something that – again, you just have to kind of – slap Tuvok in the face with it to get it, that the people around you have skills, you need to rely on them to use their skills and trust their abilities. And I guess if I had to come up with another one, I would say lesson in leadership, find the bad guy and throw him off the roof of the space elevator. I put that up to number one. Maybe so. Maybe you start there and then that just that paves the way for a lot of other stuff you can accomplish as an effective leader. What about
1: you, Mm -hmm. Norman. Well, it's, it's very similar. You know, I, I wanted to start with uh, referencing Neelix's line in the infirmary when he's talking to the doctor. You know, Neelix says, I'll be fine. It's just that I'm a little apprehensive. I've been assigned to Lieutenant Tuvok's team, and no matter what I do, I can't seem to please him. Hmm. But then I kind of like landed on the him part, you know, mm-hmm. to please him, mm-hmm. to please Tuvok, and not to please Neelix himself, you know, mm-hmm. in his... You know, in his role, I I found that that was a very telling moment for Neelix. And I kind of like put a pin there and I wanted to see like where they were going to go in the episode from from that moment. And it goes from that, you know, to playing kind of like second guessing, you know, what he was supposed to do for Tuvok and to have have Tuvok, you know, uh, shower him with admiration. But then you had that moment literally in a pressure cooker. Right, you know, the uh, the mining cart where people are suffering from you know oxygen deprivation and everyone's on their last nerve. And then, Neelix, like you said, he speaks his truth. He says, "I'm tired of being the target of all of your hostility." Even if Tuvok doesn't even like know or recognize because hostility is an emotion. And I love that Lilius calls Tuvok out on it as an observer, saying, "No, you're being condescending, you're being dismissive, and you're being hostile." That was a huge growth moment. And I wish in some way, again, they tied it back to Tuvix. But the moral that I found in that moment is believe in who you are. Believe in what you're worth, because the only opinion of your quality that is worth anything, that is truly worth anything, is your own. And once you believe in yourself, then others will believe in you as well. And we see that at the end of this episode when Neelix and Tuvok are kind of ribbing at each other. (laughs) Neelix has learned the value of his worth. You know, he wasn't waiting for Tuvok's approval at it at the end. Yeah, He knew what he was worth, and he was enjoying kind of like how their relationship was going to unfold from that moment forward. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment.
2: If you'd like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission log for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord. Our website is missionlogpodcast.com and for more Star Trek news and discussion visit trekmovie.com
1: On the next Mission Log, Favorite Son.
0: Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at Warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Shabel. I think I worked out where the railings went. I think someone turned them into giant number two pencils for next week's show.